you guys want to turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, while you're turning there, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, something's happening next week in relation to school. I bet some kids know what's happening next week in relation to school. What's what's what starts at the end of next week? Maybe it's not the same. I know Georgetown. What's Oh yeah, spring break. I think that some of my kids at school are already on spring break mentally. Their their bodies are there but their brains are not there at all. Uh this is one of the most challenging weeks as a teacher, that week before spring break, trying to keep it, let's stay on task just a little bit longer. They don't want to. They don't want to. I made the mistake of, uh, on Thursday, we had a, uh, well, uh, actually, uh, let me add, I, I think somebody knows what happened Thursday. Thursday for a math teacher, am I not on? Oh, can I click? Yeah. Um, Thursday... Math teacher, what's a special about Thursday for a math teacher? Pi day. day. That's right. 314 is pi day because pi is 3.14, right? Uh, And so it's just a good excuse to eat pie, I think. Um, And so I made the mistake on Thursday of having pi day for all the math classes. And so they could bring any kind of pie, but I also let them bring any round food in. And so we had Oreos and cookies and pie and I'm telling you what, they were wired. <laughs> I'd feed them a lot of sugar, then send them off to history, right? So it was, it was a fun day. Uh, we even had a, uh, you probably didn't know that this is a real thing, but we had a freehand circle drawing competition. Uh, believe it or not, there's a freehand circle drawing champion of the world, and where you draw a circle freehand on a, you have to draw it big. It's, it's, we had a fun time. I'm the best circle drawer, but I didn't get to compete, so. All right. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'd like to read our passage for the week before we do anything else. Uh, We're going to start with verse 10 and go down to verse 13. I'll have it up on the screen for you as well. Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 13 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to pray to you one more time before we begin, Lord, asking that you would direct and guide as we look at your word. Lord, I pray that you protect us from opinion, especially mine. Lord, I pray that we would go into your truth. Lord, I pray that you reveal it to us today. Lord God, I pray that you'd help all of us in this room. Lord, maybe there's a little spring fever with us as well. I ask that you'd help us to, to, to focus in and listen to your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to present it in a way that's understandable. And in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. All right, two weeks ago, we started this new thing, talking about this last section, finally be strong, Lord. So two weeks ago, I talked about what? Let's see if anybody was paying attention. I'll keep you on your toes today. Uh, What did I talk about two weeks ago? 
That wasn't the answer, by the way. Anybody remember? Be strong. Be strong in the Lord, right? That first verse. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. One of my favorite things about that passage, and honestly, if you were to ask me what my, one of my favorite things about the Bible and about God and, and Christ, and I mean, just all these things, the things I'm talking about right now are, is my favorite stuff. Okay, first of all, this one. That, that the reality is that God, in God's economy, He doesn't choose people based on their strength, right? I'm so glad for that. Aren't you glad for that? That wouldn't sound very glad. Aren't you glad God doesn't choose you based on your strengths? Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't look down and go, oh, they'd be really good at this, I'm going to use them there. Oh, no, he goes, I want to look at their weaknesses, because in their weaknesses, then I can be made strong, right? They can be made strong because of me. I, I can look down at the, the things they're the weakest in, and I can use them. That way, the only person that gets glory is God. I, in fact, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I bank so much, on, I, I depend so much on that. For myself, I think, oh, it, Lord, if this is true, I mean, honestly, this is what, th- that thought is what encouraged me to say, I think I might be able to be a pastor. Because I didn't think of myself as one that could do it, and I just thought, well, all this stuff I'm reading, if that's true, God, that means you could use somebody like me. And so that's what I'm, I'm banking everything on. I'm banking the fact that I'm here today talking to you. I'm, what I'm telling you is what I'm trusting in in order to do this today. I'm just being honest with you. That's what I'm hoping in. I'm not hoping that I'm eloquent enough or, or you know, have all the right words. In fact, I know that I'm not all the time, and I know that I mess up all the time. And so I'm just thankful. I believe that God can use somebody like me. And so I'm banking everything on that. And I want to encourage you, you can do the same thing. God can use you in a big way, not because you're great, but because He's great. And He takes the weakest of people and uses them for big things. If you don't believe me, sit down and read your, read your Bible. You'll see over and over again, God chooses the weakest people, the people that are messed up, the people that don't have it all together, and He does great and mighty things with them. So then last week, I talked about, well, you know, in fact, maybe from that first week, you thought, yeah, I could do some, I could do some stuff for God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to live for God this week. And then it just seemed like the universe was arrayed against you. Right, the universe is just, and I said, does anybody ever feel like that? The universe is just all everything is just working against you to do. You're trying to do that, and it just seems like at every turn, you know, whether it's you messing up or somebody else, it just seems like it never pans out the way you're thinking it's supposed to pan. You just feel like everything's working against you. Anybody ever feel that way? You smile and nod. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that may not be too far from the truth because there is a personality, a being. What do we call him? Satan? Lucifer? The devil? He's not made up, is he? And he's working against everything that God is trying to do. He wants to destroy the things that are God's things. He wants to destroy it. He's a liar. In fact, uh, the, the word that Paul uses to describe him here was the devil, which means deceiver. He's a liar. But he's... He's a defeated enemy, isn't he? And I think that I told you one of my favorite things about th- th- this section is that how he was defeated. That in the book of Colossians, it says he was put to open shame. 
that's exciting to me. Because it just shows... Have you ever seen a movie where the, the hero of the movie has this plan and you just think everything's working against it, but then at the very end you find out that all the things that seemed like they were going wrong, that was actually the plan? You ever seen a movie like that? In the end, the hero comes out shining... I mean, he, everything worked out according to plan. And just when you thought nothing was working out, you find out he was on top of everything all along, and that was actually his plan. In a much bigger, better way, that's what happened at the cross. I think I said last week I would have loved to have seen Satan's face when he realized that what Satan may have thought was his greatest victory in killing Jesus, right, was actually his own defeat. Isn't that great about God? I mean, God used Satan to defeat Satan. I, I just think that's funny. I mean, he that's the kind of God that we serve, that he used death to kill death. He used sin, the greatest sin, the crucifixion of Jesus, the only innocent person that's ever lived. That The greatest sin that's ever been committed was the greatest good that ever happened. The redemption of humanity through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I mean, what an amazing God we serve that he used Satan to kill Satan. And so Satan is this defeated enemy. But now, one of the things that I'm asking you to do and that Paul is asking you to do, is to go into battle mode, right? I mean, he's talking about putting on armor, wrestling against principalities and powers. I mean, he's talking about this. And so here I am today, and in a sense, I'm doing the same thing with you. I'm saying, we need to go to battle. And as I was considering this, I thought, well, what? first of all, what's the battle? What's the war? What's this all about? I mean, it's easy to talk about, yeah, Satan's raid against us, and everything, but what's the battle actually about? What's the war about? And, and so I gave you a little bit of that last week when I introduced you to the enemy, Satan. Satan wants to be God. He, that's, that, that's what he wants. In fact, he, he kind of it's not just that he just wants to be God. He, he just doesn't want God to be God. In fact, that's one of the lies he used with Adam and Eve. He says, hey, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you'll be like God too. In other words, God's not so special. That's his argument. And you see it all throughout Scripture. When, when Satan tries to sneak in, he says, God's not so great. He's not so special. He's not worthy of worship. He's not worthy of your devotion and attention. He's not worthy of those things. And that's what Satan is trying to do. That's, everything kind of stems in on that idea. And I found that in this book of Ephesians, as we've gone through here, one of the things that I'm going to propose to you today is that the way Satan attempts to accomplish robbing God of his due glory in you, and you probably saw it up on the screen a second ago by accident, is an identity battle. I'm going to explain what I mean. So you may be looking at going, an identity battle? What are you talking about? Okay, I'm going to tell you what I mean. Okay, Identity battle. Let's, let's take a glance back through the book of Ephesians. Some of you have been here from the beginning. Uh, many of you have not been here from the beginning as we started studying Ephesians. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, I talked about this, or not I, Paul talks about this big view of God. God has done these big things. He's talking about these big, using big words too. I mean, he's talking about these things that God uses these big, long sentences. Okay, Paul used these long carry-on, what we would consider a carry-on sentence to describe these big picture of who God is. And then we get to chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and I just want to read a little bit of this to you. And so if you just want to listen to this part, 
After he's talking about God, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now listen to this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you might know. And so here, the core of what he's praying for is understanding, that they might know something. Okay? That they might know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. In other words, Paul wants you to know who you are in Christ. Your identity. Who you are in Jesus. Because in Jesus you're righteous. And you have all the power of God working in you. In Christ. And so he prays for this realization. In chapter 2 he shifts back and he says, Now you were, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were spiritually dead. But then what happened? Christ did what? He made you, you can say it, alive. You were dead, but He made you alive. See, there's something about you. Your very nature is changed at that moment of salvation. You were spiritually dead, and, and Christ makes you alive. Who you are in Christ is now a living, spiritual person. That's who you are. And then He shifts out of that, and He says it's not about uh, 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 laws and rules. It's about the fact that Christ won peace with God for you. I mean, think about how important that is. That you have peace with God. And Christ won it for you. That's what he talks about in chapter 2. And then he kind of shifts into talking about God's people, his church. And he talks about them like a building that Christ is building up. And then he goes into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of the gospel. That the reality of who Jesus was, it was a secret, hidden for ages. They didn't fully understand who the Messiah was going to be. You read the Old Testament, they didn't, they didn't understand. They didn't know what, who Jesus was going to be. They knew he was coming. They knew he was going to do something amazing. And they knew salvation was depending on him in some way. But nobody quite expected what he was going to do. That he was going to be the suffering servant that would die for his people. They were picturing a king. But there's all these, this talk of him being a suffering and taking our, our, his, our wounds upon himself and our sin upon him. They, they, they couldn't work it all out. But then Jesus came and all of a sudden you go, oh... It's the same person. He's conquering king, but he's also suffering servant. And so Christ, this mystery of who Jesus was going to be was a secret. And Paul says, but now it's been revealed. And then he goes into chapter 3, verse 14. One of my favorite parts of uh, Ephesians. He prays again, Paul does, for the people of Ephesus. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Verse 14. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. So all the strength is to do what? Listen to what He says. That you may have strength to comprehend. What's comprehend mean? Understand, right? To understand something. So He's praying for the power of God, spiritual strength, to understand something. Now, this is an important understanding to have, isn't it? If it requires the power of the Spirit of God to understand something. I know some of you feel that way about geometry. I need the power of the Spirit of God to understand geometry. right? But this is even bigger than that. 
I need the power of the Spirit of God to understand this. And Paul prays for it. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What's he doing again? He's once again, he's saying, I want you to understand who you are in Jesus. When chapter 4 and 5 roll around, when we got to those, Paul made a major shift. Instead of just talking about these big theological ideas, he shifts into how we ought to walk, or how we ought to live. How should you live? I mean, if we talk about all this stuff about Jesus, at some point you have to say, well, how should that affect my day-to-day life? And that's what, that's what you do here, I hope. You say, okay, the pastor's talking about this. How should this affect my day-to-day existence, how I ought to live? And that's what Paul does. And when he talks about how we ought to live and how we ought to walk, there is those do, do, do. You need to do this. You need to do this. Live this way. But understand, this is one of the biggest misunderstandings of Christianity. So many people think, okay, to be a Christian, you've got to be good to be a Christian. That's not true, is it? That's a lie of Satan. We as Christians, we seek to be good, not to be a Christian, but because we are followers of Jesus Christ, right? Christians. It's not the other way around. We're not trying to be good so we can be a Christian. We're saying, because we're Christians, we're going to try to live and do the things that God wants us to do. It's a complete turnaround. That's where most people are confused. This is why we've even had some people here, and I'm not going to call anybody out, but I think, uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll know who I'm talking about in just a second. But I've had some people here say, man, the, the building's going to fall down when I show up. <laughs> James is going, oh, that was me. Okay. Now, why, why? Now, he's not the only one that thinks that. There's been a lot of people that thought that. Oh, when I show up to church, I mean, that, I, that place is not for me because I'm not good. That's what a lot of people think. But they're missing the entire point of what, it's all about. You don't come to church because you're good. You come to church because you're a sinner. And you need Jesus. And you just want to know about Him. It's not the other way around. You shouldn't come here expecting to find a bunch of good people. You should come here expecting to find a bunch of sinners, messed up people, that are just saying, we just need Jesus. We just need Jesus. We're trusting on Him. And so as Christians, we, 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 we seek to try to live to please God, but it's not so that we can be Christians. It's because we are and so everything that Paul talks about over and over again, when he says, make sure you get rid of your anger and you're doing this and you're stopping this and you're doing it's all to say, be who you are in Jesus. And you may remember me talking about it that way. Be who you are in Jesus. It's not about trying to do something new or different, it's about being simply being who you are. Now at this point you're probably wondering, how did we start talking about this? I lost track somewhere. We were talking about spiritual battle, and he went into this identity thing. So I'm going back to the beginning here. See, if I'm going to call you into battle, it's important to understand how Satan is going to try to defeat you. And I believe the key way Satan tries to defeat us, the lies that he's telling, are lies about who you are. Who you are in Jesus is a righteous person if your faith is in Jesus Christ. And Satan is constantly trying to take us away from it. The reason is Satan wants to be God. He wants all the glory. He wants to have glory for himself. And if he can't have that, he at least doesn't want God to have glory. And one of your main purposes of your life is to glorify God. And the way to glorify him is to know who you are in Christ. To know who he is. To praise him and honor him for what he's done from creation to the cross is praising God. And Satan doesn't want you to do that. 
Now, I think that um, the spiritual battle plays out in different ways with different people. Some of you, this spiritual battle is played out. Maybe at one point in your life, you struggled with drugs. Maybe it was drinking. You're a drunk. Maybe it's sexual immorality. All of those things are really about robbing God of glory. I think this will bring me peace in my life. I think that this thing will bring me fulfillment in my life. I think that this thing is the the thing that is worthy of my devotion and attention. Do you see that really the spiritual battle is all about who gets the glory? What about in other ways? There's other ways that we struggle with this. Some struggle with self-righteousness. They're pretty good people. Very moral, upstanding citizens. You know, doing all the things they're supposed to do. They think they're pretty righteous. Who gets the glory? Them. I'm good enough. God has to accept me because I'm good. Maybe it's pride. I know God says to live life this way, but I think I ought to live life this way. I know God says this, but I think I ought to do this. I know that God says this, but I'm going to do this. It's all about me. There's still others that believe the gospel, believe it's about Jesus. They go to church, but understand that what God is interested in is for you to take that first little bit. Maybe that's where you're at. You've, you, I, I, I can't talk about this without looking out and knowing who's here today and saying, you know what, I know that some of you are recently back in church. I think that's exciting to be a church where there's a lot of people that are recently back in church. But I want you to understand that one of the things that God is, is, is asking of you and desiring of you is to, to get everything aligned straight. He is the only one that is worthy of absolute devotion and glory and honor. He's the only thing worthy. And God wants you to glorify Him, not just on Sunday, but with your whole life. In fact, I think that Satan is willing to let a few Sundays slip. I believe that Satan's willing to say, well, I can't, I, I, I can't keep him out of church altogether. They've been doing this stuff. All right, listen, we, we can let him go to church. I mean, can you just imagine the strategic plan of Satan with his demons? You know, Okay, listen, you know, coming to Satan. What are we supposed to do? They're wanting to go to church now. That's okay, let them go to church. If, they, if they're going to pop in once a week and that's it, and it's not going to mean anything for the rest of the week, we're still okay. Right? They're not glorifying God with the rest of their life. It's okay that they've decided to pop in and pop out. We just got to keep them focused on, in fact, let's do this. The lie we need to tell them is that that's enough. That's enough. They're doing enough by just popping in and popping out. And if we can get them to hear that lie, then God still doesn't get the glory six days a week. That's all, that's all we want. God not getting the glory. We want to rob God of the glory. I want to tell you today that what I want to do is I want to call you to arms because I want to humiliate Satan. My hope is that this church says God is worthy. He's worth it. The only person that's going to get glory and honor from the people at this church is God. And my hope is that we could put Satan to open shame again and again and again. As a church, we're going we're gonna to humiliate Satan together in this battle. And so that's what I'm hoping to do. I want to encourage you to do. Are you, are you ready to do that? Sounds like kind of scary, doesn't it? I mean, going up against Satan? I mean, did you remember the description we just read, Matt? Cosmic powers spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, we're going up against that. Yeah, that's right. 
But remember, he's a defeated enemy. I, my hope is that we can humiliate Satan. Satan's had a, a tough grip on this city for a long time. My hope is that we can humiliate him, that, that God is still worthy, that God is worthy of glory and honor, and I, I hope that we can, as a church, we can do this. So I want to begin to, to prepare you for this battle, because that's what Paul's doing. Prepare you for the spiritual battle that we're going we're gonna to jump into. And so let me put this up here. We're going to prepare for battle. And I want you to notice that in the passage that we're in, going back to Ephesians chapter 6, there's a bit of a pattern in what he talks about. Notice, remember, he said, finally be, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So he talks about being strong. Right? And we talked about that already. But then he says this. He says, put on the whole armor of God. So he's talking about there's some level of preparation that needs to happen to prepare. And he says that you may be able to stand. And so he goes from preparing to standing. And then he says, for you wrestle not against flesh and blood, which means that there is a wrestling going on. It's just not against flesh and blood. There is a wrestle. There is a, a, an engagement that's going to happen. But then he turns right back around and he says, um, after he talks about who we're wrestling that we're, who we are wrestling against, he says, therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. He says it again. Well, he just said take up the armor. Then he comes back to preparing again. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So he goes, prepare, stand, wrestle, prepare, stand. Right? Do you see the pattern forming here? Stand in the evil day. And then verse 14, he says it again. Stand. And then he goes back to the armor. Prepare. I mean, this whole passage is about what the battle is going to look like for you when you enter into your week, Monday through Saturday. What is the actual battle going to look like? The first thing there, like I said, was preparing. And from the fact that God says put on the whole armor or the full armor of God means that, number one, God has not left you unarmed. There are weapons of warfare that God has for you to enter into this battle through the week. Satan's going to try to steal the glory. He doesn't want God to get the glory in your life. He does not want your life to glorify God Monday through Saturday. He doesn't want that. And so he's going to do everything he can to keep that from happening. But God has not left us unarmed against this foe. We, he's given us weapons of warfare. Honestly, what type of battle would it be? Imagine going out to battle with no weaponry. Let's be honest for just a minute. How many of us, that's what it's pretty much like every week? I mean, put on the armor of God, he says. Prepare yourself. I mean, the fact that he says put on is, is means to, to, to use the things that God has already given you. God has given you these things. God has given you this armor. Put it on. You still have to put it on. You have to use it. You've got to incorporate it into your life. But how many of us, we struggle week after week spiritually. We, we, we fall down and Satan comes along. He lies to us. We believe it. We're, we're struggling with everything else. And we, man, why can I just not get this? Have you ever even stopped to prepare? I mean, there's a hundred reasons why I could give you why you should come to church, but this, this is one of those many reasons. It's about preparing yourself. You're arming yourself mentally. Jesus even talks about in Luke 14, he says, what king going out to encounter another king in war would not sit down first and deliberate? Well, how important it is to go into battle and think before you go into battle. But God has not left us unarmed. In 1 Peter 1, 4, uh, or 4, 1, uh, Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. I mean, there's, there's an arming that we have to do. We have, there's a preparation that we have to do week after week. But this leads me to my next thought. 
Spiritual battles, they need spiritual weaponry. Spiritual weaponry. Now, this is, this is going to get real interesting here. We need the right weapons. Some of us, we show up to a, 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 a gunfight with a knife. How's that go? <laughs> Have you heard that before? That's how some of us are going up against Satan. We think that we can defeat him by ourselves. Let me show you what this has looked like in my life. There's been some lies that I've struggled with. Satan has lied to me, and I believe it and believe it and believe it and believe it. And, and some of those things, you just struggle in these certain areas of your life, and you just think, man, I can't believe I did this again. I can't believe. And I've thought, you know, the way to handle this is I just need more willpower. Anybody ever try to defeat Satan with willpower? Does it work very well? Willpower? Is that one of the weapons that he mentions later? Those of you that know the, the armor that he's going to go into, put on the you know, elbow guard of willpower. <laughs> that's not one of them, is it? Well, I guess that's, that's all dependent on me. I can be strong enough to stand for myself. And he says, no, it's the strength of the Lord. I mean, in my life, this has played out so many times. I think, okay, in this area that I'm struggling, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's laziness. And you think the way to overcome this is just by, I I know it's wrong. It's not that you don't know what's right and wrong. You just go, man, I just keep messing up. And the, the reason is because you're trying to fight it all on your own. And you're not arming yourselves with the things that God has given you to arm yourself with. This is why it's so important. If you're going to arm yourself, you have to arm yourself with the right spiritual weaponry. Notice this place where Paul talks to the Corinthians. He says this, For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, physically, we have a physical body, we're walking around in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Okay? What's he say? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Some of you have some serious strongholds in your life where Satan has built up some serious, strong encampments of, of anger, of lust. Uh, maybe it's major depression, of, uh, and, and it's for the wrong reason. I mean, you're just, uh, Satan, he has you down, and you're going the wrong way. Understand, those strongholds, the way to defeat them is not through you, but through the weapons that God gives you. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. And listen to this. We destroy arguments. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not just about arguing. It's an argument, like a reasoning that Satan does. Well, don't you understand that you, you can take revenge in this situation. I know that God says this, but don't you understand that you can, you can do that? Or, you know what? That anger that you showed, that was, that was righteous anger. Right? That, that was righteous anger. You, it, that was the best thing for you to lose it like that. That was the only way that you were going to make sure that things happened the way they were supposed to. I know that God says to be patient, but, but if you would have been patient, that person would have walked all over you. Do you see how Satan operates? The arguments. But through the divine power, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raised itself against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Like I said, this is one of the many reasons why we come to church, why you read your Bible, why you come to a Wednesday night service, is to prepare your spirit to face the foe again, to put on that spiritual armor. 
You're going to face off against Satan. You need to be ready. He's ready to rob God of glory. Are you ready? If you are, let's move on to the next part. Let's take a stand. Did you notice that that's what Paul kept coming back to, taking a stand? Verse 11, he says, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, he says, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then verse 14, he says, stand therefore. I mean, again and again, he keeps coming back to this idea of stay, taking a stand, taking a stand against what Satan is going to do. This is, this is a military term, this idea of taking a stand. But this is where it gets really exciting for me. Okay? This is, I, I just get so excited about this. In your spiritual battle, it's not about trying to, it's not about conquest, it's not about taking new territory. Now let me explain what I mean. I don't know about you, but when, when, I, when I first became a Christian, when I first started really following Jesus Christ, one of the things I thought was, I'm, I'm this messed up, and I, I need to overtake and, and give more territory to God, right? And, and okay, I'm going to let him have this now. And, I got, I, and this is how it comes out of our mouth sometimes. I was a bad person, but I, I'm, I'm better than I used to be. I want you to know that that is not what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches this. You're absolutely, in the, eyes of, in the eyes of God, you are absolutely righteous in His eyes. It's not about, you are a bad person, now you're going to be a good person because you're, I'm trying to do that. And see, the battle that we're in is not about grabbing new territory and giving more to God. Let me give you an illustration. The children of Israel, if you've ever read any of the Old Testament, you see the children of Israel. The children of Israel, God says, the promised land is yours. You just need to go in and drive all these people out. And then over and over again, you see them struggling. All God wanted them to do was be the people that God wanted them to be. And every time they were, victory. Just being what God wanted them to be and doing what God wanted them to do. Victory. They go against Jericho, huge city. Well, they walk around it and the walls fall down. Next city they go up against, they think, oh, this is a little city, we can take it. They don't even you know, inquire of God. They just think, oh, no problem. And what happens? Defeat. You see that over and over again with the children of Israel. The promised land was yours. And God says, it's yours. Victory is yours. I'll fight the battle for you. You... Just be who I'm telling you to be. Be the people of God on this earth. And you'll have victory. The reason why the Israelites struggle with the Canaanites, their, 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 that whole history of never quite getting... That's such a picture of how we are as Christians sometimes. We've got those, those areas in our life where we're, just, we're not kicking them out. This area of sin, this area of struggle that we're in. We're, we're not driving it out. And we, we say, oh, I just can't seem to beat this thing in my life. Understand... The stand that we're taking is a stand of, you're already all gods. The way to to have the victory is to understand that victory has already been won. And to say, okay, Lord, well, well, wait a minute, what's that mean? I mean, mean, see, I'm saying these things, and some of you are going, yeah, yeah, but do you even know what I'm talking about right now? What what does it mean to, to, to understand that Jesus has already won the victory? Let, let me get even more personal and practical. It means this. When you know what God wants you to do, whether it be don't do this or it be do this, whether it be don't engage in this activity or it be you need to engage in this activity, 
knowing that he already has the victories to say, I absolutely know that I can do whatever God has called me to do. Right? Just like the children of Israel going up against a huge army. Was it Gideon? One of the, one of the times he fought, uh, he had this huge army that he had, and the other army was huger, and God said, you got too many people. Trim it down, trim it down, trim it down. Until he's down to like 300 people. and He, he wins. By just simply doing what God called him to do. The same thing is true in your spiritual life. Most of you, the issue is not not knowing what God wants you to do. You know what God wants you to do. You just don't feel like it in the moment. You don't want to. Knowing that God has a victory to say, I'm all yours, Lord. You did everything for me. I'm going to do what you call me to do. And I know that I can do it. Not because I'm strong. Not because I have a lot of willpower. Not, none of that. Too often we make the excuse, I know I have. Lord, you've you got the wrong guy. To endure this struggle of life, you needed to pick somebody more, with more inner strength to, to, to handle this. I'm not the right person to handle this thing. No. It's not about your inner strength anyway, is it? The strength that we have, that's the inner strength, is from Jesus Christ. And we can do exactly what God wants us to do simply because He's God. And He can say, I want you to do All right. You have the victory already. I know my, my job is to do just what you want me to do. I think about this and how this plays out in this next verse, verse 12, uh, as we engage the enemy. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This one is, well, I can't tell you how wrong I got this part in my life. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm still learning this one. Maybe you're in the same boat. You're like, okay, do what God wants me to do. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to get, uh, I'm ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glorify God with my life. I want to glorify Him through the week. But you still have this problem. Maybe it's a wife, kids, or a boss, or friends, parents. It's other people in your life. You're going, man, I'm, I'm all ready for it, but if they would just get their act, then I could do what God wanted me to do. Understand, the wrestling that you're facing, the wrestle, the, the battle that you're facing is not against them. It's a spiritual battle that you're in. Those people in your life that seem to be annoying, frustrating, challenging, they're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. Those are people that Satan is conquering and conquesting over himself that you need to pray for and care about. They're not the enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a battle, there's a real battle. But it's not about those people. I'm going to skip ahead here. When I put this up on the screen here, does it have kind of a uh, end times kind of feel to it? The evil day? Does it feel like the end of the world? Like we've got to be ready for the evil day. There's going to be this day in the future, the evil day. Understand that Paul, when he says this phrase, he talks about this in this last verse, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. There is kind of an end times idea behind this, the evil day. 
But Paul is also referring to what is your evil day. You might want to say, what is your crisis that you encounter? See, many of us, we're ready to live for God, but then along comes that day, that evil day, and you fall. You were standing firm until that came along. Paul's saying you need to prepare because you're going to have... Maybe you're saying, things are going smooth right now. You're going to have a day. I, I, I kind of like this because I know that this means that the battle isn't always the same. I know that I'm going to face those battles and there's going to be some days that are harder than other days to really glorify God and, and treat Him as, as the one who's worthy of all honor. And to, to, to put all of our hope in Him. Sometimes it's tragedy. Sometimes it's heartache. And we struggle with really trusting in this God. And we think, how can God let this happen? How can this be? Just like Job. Satan's argument with God is, God, Job only loves you because all the good things you've done for him. You take it away, he'll stop loving you. He'll stop honoring you. He'll stop glorifying you. Is that what happened with Job? No, everything was taken away. And it says that Job continued to glorify God and to worship God as God. He humiliated Satan. We have the same opportunity in our lives today when the evil day comes. You're going to have your evil day. Maybe you've had your evil day recently. You have an opportunity in those evil days because Satan is saying... Now, they loved you, God, but because this happened, they're going to leave you behind. They were ready to, to, to be there and to follow you, but if you let that happen, God, no way will they follow you at that point. Now, as a church, as a people, we need to encourage each other to say, when the evil day comes, we're going to glorify God as God, even in the middle of that. God is most glorified. God is most glorified in us. When, and I'm borrowing this phrase from someone else, when we are most satisfied with Him. In the middle of heartache, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of the evil day, when the worst, the thing that you dreaded has happened. And Satan goes, they're gonna, it's coming. Lord, it's coming. You're not worthy. And when we as a people say, no, God, I praise you. I, I want to honor you. I want to glorify you. Even in the middle of this hardship, even in the middle of this heartache, I honor you as God. I'm satisfied with you and you alone. No matter what you bring my way, I'm satisfied. And when we do that, in the middle of our deepest sorrow, in the middle of that evil day, when we withstand, we resist Satan in the evil day, is when Satan is put to the greatest shame. So I encourage you, in the middle of your evil day, do that. Stand for Him. Not just when the days are good, but when the days are hard. Glorify God as God and praise Him in the middle of your hardest times. Praise God for what He's doing. In preparing this week, I knew that when I talked about this, that it's quite possible that some of you are going to face 
challenges this this week. Maybe life's going okay. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're all, you're like, man, it's, it happened last week, Matt. You should have said this last week. I was, you know, maybe that's the case. Understand that at any point, what God wants of you is to the the key word is repent. Repent means change your mind. Say, all right, all right, Lord, I wasn't glorifying you. I was right in the middle of this, and I was going down the. But you're worthy. Just take a stand against what Satan wants to do. Satan wants you to rob God of glory and give glory to other things and look for peace and fulfillment and joy and everything else under the sun but God. Take a stand this week. Say, you know what? I'm drawing a line in the sand. But don't depend on yourself to fulfill that. That's where many people go wrong. They hear it at church. They go down. They make the decision. Have you ever done that before? You get down to the front and there's the altar call and you're down there and you're, you cry out to God, Lord, I want to give you my life. And, and you, you make this decision. But then within a week, you, you, you fail. And for many of us, the reason why that is is because we're banking everything on our own willpower that the decision is what makes it happen. And that is not what makes it happen. It's our faith and trust in God on a day-to-day basis. That brings about real spiritual growth. When we understand that the victory has already been won, we're just seeking to be who God wants us to be and who God created us to be. And you're going to face some trials this week. You're going to face some challenges. And Satan's going to try to lie to you. He's going to try to get the glory away from God and onto other things. And I want you to know that this week you can say, you know what, I'm going to take a stand this week. Nothing's getting the glory but God this week. I'm going to live for him from this day forward. And I know that I can accomplish this. I know I can do this, not because I'm strong, because I'm not, but because God is strong, and He's worthy. And Satan's going to try to get you out of that. And you're going to say, no, my identity is in Jesus Christ. I'm declared righteous in Him, and I'm going to be approved of by God because of Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do want to thank You I thank you, Lord, that uh, we're here today and we're able to talk about these things and understand the, the reality that, that there's this creature named Satan that is seeking to rob you of glory. And he's going to lie to every single one of us to get us to glorify anything but God. But Lord, who we are in you, in Christ is one who is worthy. That Christ is worthy of all things, and Lord, we can honor Him as God. Lord, I pray that You'd be with those in this room today, that, Lord, when they face their evil day, their challenge of the week, Lord, their their challenge of the month, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, whatever they're going through, God, I just ask that You'd help them to stand firm. Not because they're strong, but because of who You are. I pray the edge would be a Edgewood would be a church that is that humiliates Satan and puts him to open shame. That we are satisfied completely in who God is. And we don't need anything else. Lord, I know that as we say these things that the challenges are waiting for us. Help us to stand firm. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.